Hi there, you're listening to F&B Soundbites, a podcast where we cover hot topics, trends and challenges of interest to professionals in the engine room behind the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. Energy. Our manufacturing plants all need energy, but we're in the midst of having to redesign our energy systems to be more sustainable and decarbonised. This is the biggest trend flowing through all food, beverage and pharmaceutical capital plans right now, and it will continue to be a feature for a number of years to come. There are a lot of questions and uncertainty about the best options to invest in and when to do it, and the stakes are pretty high given your utility investment is going to influence your plant economics for the entire remaining life of the asset. So um, look, big stakes, high uncertainty, and I thought it was a really good time to bring in some experts. So time to talk to our panel today. We've got two guests today. Um, The first of our guests is Harshal Patel. Harshal is a future energy leader at Becker and leads the renewable generation and storage business across Australia and New Zealand. In addition, Harshal is also the power market leader in Australia and works with key transmission and distribution utilities on projects to enable energy transition towards a decarbonised future. Now, because I've worked with Harshal a little bit before, I know that you'll often find a giant teddy bear featuring in the background of Harshal's Zoom calls. Uh, Welcome, Harshal, and welcome to your teddy bear. Thank you, Hamish. Um, and yeah, for those who do know my teddy bear, uh, he either goes by Carl or Carla, depending on your preference. But definitely <laughs> uh, a great co-worker to have with me. Um, doesn't talk back. And people also say that uh, he's more productive than I am at work. So I find that insulting sometimes. But anyway, I'm really excited to be here and really excited to share my experience in energy transition with the food and beverage industry today. Thank you, Harshal. I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you here. And we've also joined by Mark Robertson. Mark is the market segment leader for food and life sciences at Becker across Victoria, South Australia and Tasmania. Mark is passionate about using supply chain analysis, engineering fundamentals and digital tools to enable food and beverage clients to identify, unlock, and deliver value to their businesses. Mark is not only a um, a stalwart of the FMCG and food and beverage sector, but he's also been involved in volleyball for a long time as well, and currently coaches at the premier level in a Victorian club. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Hamish. Always interested to talk about F&B. It's something that I devote a lot of my life to, both as a... uh, professional and as a consumer. So it's really heart and heart to what we really enjoy talking about. So yeah, really excited to get going today. You and me both, mate. It's uh, it's great to work with what you love, isn't it? Thanks both for coming on today. So let's get right into it. You've both been fully immersed in this, working really closely with clients, trying to actually help them uh, navigate through the, the different options here. So I just really wanted to get some of your insights into what you're seeing in the market, what strategies are, are successful, and what are some of those watch outs for clients as well? Harshal, if I ask you first, mate, are you able to just reflect a bit on what your experience uh, has been so far? What are you seeing um, happening at the moment? For sure, uh, Hamish. Um, it's definitely a challenging time at the moment out in the industry, particularly with, I guess, uh, you know, most of the developed world pushing net zero targets by 2050. And um, what that's causing is organizations to rethink their their strategy around you know, how they're going to achieve the carbon reduction targets by 2050. Some companies have become even more ambitious to challenge themselves to become carbon neutral or net zero by, by 2030 as well. I think the challenge that comes with that is really understanding where to start, how to 
develop a bit of a, a plan to get to net zero by 2030. So we've been working with a number of different clients on, on some of the strategies. And really the, the first challenge that sticks out to me and what some of uh, clients listening here today may be wondering is, you know, where, where to start? How do we start the journey towards net zero? And simply that starts with, you know, establishing a bit of a roadmap to understand, you know, where are the areas they can start looking at significant carbon reductions and, you know, start to formulate solutions around, you know, what sort of projects that will get them to, to 2030. So you're talking about some analysis there, Harshal. So it's, it's not a high-level strategic consulting gig. It's actually brass tacks and bolts looking at the, the current assets, current business they've got. Is that, is that right? And looking at what the potential solutions might actually fit for them? Yeah, that, that's right. People would be aware that reduction and I guess reduction in carbon emissions you know, fall into sort of scope one, two, and three categories where you've got emissions that are directly generated through your day-to-day business operations. You've then got scope two emissions, which are emissions from the electricity that you purchase. And then scope three, which is emissions that are sort of contributing to your business through your supply chain. So it's really looking at those three different areas and formulating, I guess, plan to help reduce emissions in, in those three areas. And there's definitely a lot of good low-hanging fruits. So for example, for scope two, to, I guess, purchase clean energy, you, know, you can switch simply switch retail providers who are providing low carbon or renewable energy as a, as a way to immediately green up your business. But in addition to that, you know, there's a number of different solutions that you can start working through. I mean, that requires a bit of time and effort and, and planning to align with, I guess, corporate strategy, how, how to get there. That's excellent. Thanks for that. So clients, the market, starting by understanding the situation first and having that, establishing that roadmap. Yeah, great, great observation, Harshal. And Mark, what are you seeing and what are, what are you seeing as some of the, the big drivers for your clients in this space? I work a lot in fast moving consumer goods. And I think even over my short career period, We've also seen the strategies shift quite significantly for our clients over that time. When I first started, it was all about reducing high sugar carbonated soft drink was was seen as evil. And there was a massive push towards uh, spring water as the healthy option. That was the main driver of that perspective to give consumers choice. And now, not so many years later, we now look at a plastic water bottle as evil because it's a single-use piece of plastic for some regard. So that shift has come with a huge response to how consumers seeing the products that they're choosing to buy on shelf. And as a result, a number of companies are changing their strategies around that in terms of the overall global trends. And sustainability has become a key factor and key pillar a part of that, and which in turn will then drive consumers to their products enables them to charge higher value when they're seen as being able to close that loop in certain lenses or produce renewably through, you know, whether it's green beer or or the the like. So that's really seen a huge shift in how clients are placing a high level of importance on their sustainability goals. And building upon what Harshal was talking about is really assessing their emissions from ongoing, but also making conscious decisions during implementation of constructing a new facility or a building or whatever those factors are in terms of making upfront decisions about what carbon do they invest in that facility and then how that is going to be offset through the course of the the assets life cycle. So it's come a long way from purely just looking at reducing a utility bill to be able to really impact the business from that perspective. 
Yeah, that's a great observation, Mark. So the the business case is getting stronger for a lot of the reasons that maybe you know we weren't able to associate with the capital project a few years ago, such as the the consumer preference and consumers really voting with their feet as well. Look, I'm interested in getting uh, more into the practical realities of, of how clients are responding to this as well. And Harshal, I know through your work in the electricity sector and utilities, you're, you're dealing a lot with the generation side and pairing it up with demand. I, I'm wondering, Harshal, what are you seeing as some of the, the challenges and opportunities for, for businesses in and around decarbonising by looking at the, some of those the scope to the electricity supply aspects? I guess we'll have been working through with a number of different clients over the last three years on um, looking at you know how we can start look at renewable energy and self-sufficiency for their, their operations. And what we're I guess currently seeing as a as a common trend is you know, looking at uh, behind the meter or embedded generation renewable energy generation solutions. So that could you know, consider rooftop solar, ground-based solar systems, biogas uh, to help sort of produce on-site generation to to meet their, their energy needs. Um, but one of the challenges with that is around energy security of supply. You know, a lot of these facilities will require sort of 24/7 supply, and and what that means is that um, if you if you do look at or if you are considering sort of a behind the meter, say solar farm or large scale solar system and and battery storage, that's not going to I guess immediately resolve the issue of being able to operate independently from the grid. You know, solar and other renewable energy sources are quite intermittent in nature. And what that means is that you're not going to, not always going to have the energy source there to provide you with constant power. You know, they are you know, really driven by the, the time of the year, the season, uh, weather patterns, uh, which d- does provide a fluctuation in, in, in energy generation. So uh, I guess an important thing to, to, to remember is that um, you still have to rely on a, on a grid supply by how much is, is, is the question here. So, um, you know, you can look to optimize, you know, behind the meter generation systems to, to work, uh, work in sync with the grid to maximize on-site renewable generation with what you import from the grid. The other challenge is around investing to, to develop um, behind the meter renewable energy solutions and storage and generation solutions, particularly the fact that at the moment, uh, the grid and buying electricity from the grid can be seen as you know being a dirty power, right? The majority of generation at the moment in Australia is through large um, baseload coal and gas. But as um, the industry transitions towards more renewables, the energy from the grid starts to become greener and greener. And then there's, a, I guess, a tipping point where you know, purchasing energy from the grid becomes more more attractive than investing in behind the the meter renewable generation. So there's also another challenge that you know we're working with clients around understanding you know what sort of investments they need to make now to help sort of set them up for the future in terms of managing those plausible futures where you know we have I guess different scenarios where you've got a a future where the electricity from the grid is completely green supplied by uh, renewable energy sources such as solar and wind. You then have a another future where fossil fuels um, and, and diesel become non-existent and replaced by alternative fuels such as biofuels and green hydrogen and all those intertwine with each other and can make the journey quite complex. It does sound like it, definitely. Understanding as well that there's different legitimate responses to the problem at the moment that could take you in a different direction and could quite significantly change your spend profile over the next few years it was regarding whether you, as you said, invest Behind the uh, behind the meter, or whether you actually decide to bias towards more grid supplied clean energy, 
um, and you see the alternative fuels as well. There's a lot to take into account. And I guess this is a good segue for me to ask Mark a question about you know the business aspect of this as well. And um, so Mark, you've, you've dealt with clients a lot who've been working with complex capital programs and like how, how are you seeing clients working through this? I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they're, they're going to be talking to people like Harshal, getting some great advice around the, the technical solution sets available. What are clients doing right now to develop that, that longer term plan? Yes, it's definitely a combination of expertise that needs to come together to be able to solve a complex problem from looking at the broad connections and the behind the meter solutions, as well as comparing that with around the industrial equipment that's that's sized and matched with that to be able to find that balance. So it is a complex technical puzzle that needs to be worked through that then ultimately matches to how the business intends to operate and supply its customers. And we've seen a a range of responses by clients in terms of their maturity and their approach to this. A number of clients have set clear corporate goals on what they're looking to achieve over the next 8, 10, 20-year period. And the next step that we are now working through as part of the project development stage is, okay, well, how do we now translate these corporate goals into project goals by collecting all of those projects? How do we as a program of works achieve the, the end corporate goal? So we're translating that down to the next area and those design principles around sustainability are now then forming the design briefs for each package that happens, whether you're looking at refrigeration, heat generation, building choice, all of those things are being factored into all of those areas. So whether that's at a greenfield scale where you've got an unconstrained view or applying that to a brownfield scenario where you've got aging assets that are either towards the end of life or at a high consumption that are now becoming a higher cost and more adverse risk, it's then coming to that problem with a more wider lens of of how we can tackle it with a range of different technical inputs to unpick that and solve that either in one fail swoop or if it's in a series of logical steps that can make you progressively greener and setting up towards a a future state that Harshal was describing before. You've, I think, summarised it really well there. And it's it's a complex thing, complex enough to manage a project, let alone a program or portfolio of, of projects across different geographies and trying to balance that. And so now we've got another parameter that goes into the decision-making uh, matrix for our, for our clients. A bit more complex, but there's certainly ways through that. So that's really good. So I'm really glad with the way about the way that you know, Harshal, you've been able to give us some some insights on the technical elements at the moment and um, and what you're doing with clients looking at those behind the meter alternatives and, and Mark, you know that business lens as well and and how we balance our portfolio of spend to match our um, change of the business with the corporate goals. You gentlemen both probably have a great view of, of what the future might look like as well. What should our clients, and again, you know, our food and beverage clients in this case, are the main people that will be listening to this, what should they be planning for at this stage? What's new? What's next? So Harshal, what are you seeing, mate? What should they um, be considering for the future? That's a great question. Um, and I think if we build on what Mark was saying before, you know, it's around aligning the future with the corporate sustainability objectives. A lot of companies would have started to you know, set uh, science-based targets in terms of wanting to progressively reduce their carbon emissions you know, in, in steps towards you know, 2030 or, or, or whatever sort of year that they've committed to. And I think that's really the first step to, to plan for what, you know, what, what the future needs to, 
it needs to look like. You know, on top of that, it's you know considering those challenges I mentioned before, coupled with the fact that you know you've got really three key pillars driving energy transition. That it's you know political, you know. I guess the developed world pushing organisations and countries to become net zero by 2050. You know, you've got the the social corporate image as well. You know, people are wanting to purchase products from companies who are you know sustainable, are doing the right thing for the environment, and then you know the cost of electricity as well. So I think taking in those sort of three key pillars that are driving energy transition is is what's really the, the next step to for at least the, you know the food and beverage customers here to to consider next in their their journey to energy transition. And I guess having said that as well, you know, there's a number of different fund opportunities available. So Arena or the Australian Renewable Energy Organization have a, a large pool of, of funding available, particularly to help large industrial users you know, with high energy usage to, to decarbonize quicker. So there, there are different, definitely options and opportunities out there to support funding of these projects. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And with our vantage point of looking across NZ in Australia, we can see some differences in the way that the governments have responded. But um, I think the Arena Fund it looks like a really good pragmatic way of, of putting significant funding into industry to make uh, bring about change. So yeah, that's a good call out. And Mark, for you, what does the future look like um, from your perspective? What's on the horizon? What are you encouraging your clients to be considering for their longer term planning? For me, Utopia would be a scenario where the grid is green and our, our government and our wider, those key providers where, where we've got that centre of mass operated in a carbon neutral perspective and then we would just continue as our current paradigm of being users off that clean grid. That would be Utopia. I think the reality is that we can't wait for that. Within Australia, food and beverage manufacturing is the largest manufacturing industry in the country. And it's been really pleasing to see how responsive that group of companies has been to this issue. They haven't waited for someone else to solve this problem for them. They've taken the bull by the horns and they've really driven that innovation and change and set aggressive targets well and ahead of country or other goals because they've seen how they can make a meaningful impact upon that. And so it's really about looking at what you can control and making great decisions along the way with the information that you have at hand. That's that's all you, you can do. And we've seen that to date with companies investing in behind the meter solar where it makes sense for them, looking at other alternatives of biomass, biofuels, looking at changing the way that they operate their facilities and reviewing other aspects of the fundamental way that they go about their business to be able to achieve these objectives. And they've put real money on the line and real effort to be able to do that. So whilst we can hang out for the utopia version, I think we have to do everything that we can in our immediate powers to be able to implement change, to be able to achieve those those company commitments that we've made by you know, within the next 10 years. Thanks, Mark. That's really, really good. So if I just have a look back over our conversation, I think it's been actually quite wide ranging. So we've talked about the fact that industry really has embraced the challenge and are selling themselves some targets. A lot of people, a lot of organizations at least, 
uh, going for 2030 to be carbon neutral or net zero. And that this is, this is fantastic, but it means that they're right in the middle now of trying to figure out what that next 10-year roadmap looks like with a capital spend perspective and an energy generation storage perspective as well. We've talked about some of the, the approaches that, that can be taken with respect to some of the technological aspects of it. And we also talked a little bit about some of the business and societal drivers behind it as well. I think for me also, I'm quite encouraged by the food and beverage sector taking leadership in this. The food and beverage sector has a very long reputation of being well aligned to consumer needs. And I think they've, they've picked it right and they've seen that consumers want to align with brands and companies that are actually taking a leadership role in sustainability. And so we see more and more of our clients really embracing it and, and running at it hard. But there's a, there's a lot of technical work to be done, a lot of complexity to be worked through. And that's where, that's where you folks and your teams come in. I'd like to give you an opportunity now just to, if you've got any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with, Harshal, from, from your perspective, anything in particular you'd just like to have our listeners think about going forwards? Yeah, look, I think I'll close up by saying that energy transition doesn't have to be hard. It can be quite a daunting process when you don't know where to start, but you know, aligning uh, energy transition with your your corporate sustainability objects objectives is you know the, the first step towards you know implementing you know a future roadmap to, you know, towards getting your your uh, organisation through to to net zero. Great, cool, thank you. And uh, and Mark, what about yourself? Any final words of wisdom from your vast food and FMCG experience? Uh, you're really pumping me up now, Hamish. Um, for me, it's about. Yeah, if we've put this line in the sand of what we're going to achieve by this time frame, then we need to walk the talk behind that and take meaningful actions towards investigating what is possible and stepping back from the, the immediate problem and looking at the the horizon about how that can be achieved. You know, I really encourage as part of business case development for even if it's just an interest sake pricing carbon into your decision-making and seeing what that would influence on your decision that you've got it there at hand and would it change your mind if you started to see what that looked like. My challenge or question out there to people is to start thinking about it because I think it might shift some perceptions that otherwise you wouldn't know until you've seen the data. Yeah, good sum up. And uh, I like the way that you're both so harsh. It doesn't have to be difficult and Mark, but we have to start and let's get going with this. It's a great sum up. Thanks very much for that. So, um, look, thanks for joining me today, gentlemen. I, I've really enjoyed talking with you and I've, I've learned something new, that's for sure. And thanks also to our listeners for joining us today. I look forward to bringing you another episode of F&B Soundbites. Until then, as we say in Australia, haroo, farewell. Farewell.